Normally, I really enjoy preparing my message for Sunday, and I look forward to bringing the message on Sunday. And I don't know, is that something wrong with my mic here, or is that? Okay. All right. Uh, but the fact is, I did not enjoy preparing this message at all. And uh, I'm not looking forward even to bringing the message this morning. And uh, the reason that I'm not particularly excited about the message is because the topic is about judgment. And uh, I love preaching about the love of God. I love preaching about the grace of God and the mercy of God. Oh, it's so wonderful to bring messages about how God loves us so much. And he is so gracious, so kind, so loving. But there's another side to, uh, to, to God's nature, and that is that he is a God of judgment and a God of wrath. We don't enjoy preaching about those topics, but they're in the Bible. In fact, when Moses uh, has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, uh, or God brought them out but led by Moses, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, Moses asked God, could I, could I see you? Lord, show me your glory. Let me see your face. And basically, God said, Moses, you know better than that. You know that nobody can see my face and live. But he said, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll, I'll put you over here in, a, in a, a, a hole in the rock, a kind of a cleft in the rock. And I will pass by, and I'll cover myself. But when I get past you, I will just let you see just my back as I pass by. And, uh, and that's what God did. And God put Moses in this place in the rock, just kind of in a little cave. And then the glory of God just passed by, and God had his hand kind of over Moses' eyes, and then when God got past, he moved his hand, and Moses was able just to see just the back of God. And when he did that, he became like a light bulb himself. Moses himself began to shine. He began his whole, his face was illuminated. And when he came down off the mountain, after just seeing just getting a glimpse of the back of God. When he came down off the mountain, his face was shining, and the people were terrified, and they, and they cried out and said, cover your face, cover your face. And for the next several weeks, I suppose, Moses wore a veil over his face because of the brightness of his face. Isn't that amazing? Just that little glimpse of the back of God. So that's something about the greatness of God. But in the midst of all that, it says in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And here's what God said. Got that verse up there? Yeah. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression 
and sin. And man, you read that and you think, that's what I like to preach about. I love to preach about how gracious and kind and loving and forgiving God is. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Here's the point. God is gracious. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is kind. But for those who reject God's goodness, for those who resist God's grace, for those who defile and deny God's name, he says there is wrath and there is judgment. You see, God is a judge as well as a savior. Now, sometimes sin just automatically brings judgment with it. It's kind of like sowing and reaping. That whatever you plant, that's what you're going to get. And sometimes just in our living, you know, a person who lives a life of sin receives the consequences of that sin. And it's just like a person who goes out in the yard and he pitches a hammer up in the air and the hammer comes down and hits him on the head. He doesn't say, well, I wonder why that happened. You know, no, the fact is that Throwing hammers up in the air can be hazardous to your head. And uh, so sometimes people just, you know, there's a judgment built into certain sins. But sometimes uh, God actually judges sinners. Can you think of examples in the Bible where God actually immediately judged someone for their sin? I was thinking of Miriam in the Old Testament. Miriam complained against God and, and against Moses. And, and because of her, her uh, complaining and her <clears throat> critical spirit, the Bible says that God just struck her immediately with leprosy. It's amazing. That was just a judgment of God. Uh, there, there are many examples actually in the Bible of God judging individuals because of their, of their sin against him. So there are some judgments that come to us individually. But now, uh, well, another message. There are judgments that come to us as a family. There are some families. He talks about here in this passage how that the sins of the fathers will be visited to the next generation and even the next generation. And there are families who sow so many seeds of rebellion and disobedience and corruption that their generations that follow them actually are affected by it. Now, it, it doesn't have to be. And I know uh, I come from a long line of alcoholics. And every male in my extended family that goes back as far as I know about were, uh, were slaves to alcohol. And you think, well, how in the world did you escape? And it's just by the grace of God. But I will tell you this. The sins of my grandfathers 
and my father and the other men in our family had an effect on my life. I did not have the benefit of having a, a father who taught me and trained me in the things of God. I didn't have the benefit of a grandfather who told me stories uh, out of the Bible. And so I was affected by the sins of my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, even though by the grace of God he was able to rescue me and give me a start so that from my generation on... I was able to train our children, my wife and I were able to train our children in the ways of God. And then to see those children train their children in the ways of God. And now to see those children train their children in the ways of God. What a blessing to see that God is able to extend grace to generations on, 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 on when we walk in truth and we do things God's way. So, so God can judge families, and then God certainly can judge nations. Boy, we read the Old Testament, and we find over and over and over again the prophets of God saying to the people of God, the children of Israel, that if you do not repent, then judgment is coming. And then the story of the Old Testament is just the story of judgment after judgment after judgment coming on God's people. And the same thing is true for us as a nation. The Bible pronounces woes, W-O-E. When the Bible says woe unto those that's uh, in, in, in biblical days, there were two, two things. There was a wheel, W-E-A-L, and a woe. We don't use those terms much today, do we? But a wheel meant a blade. Not, not wheel, but W-E-A-L. Wheel was the blessing of God. And when people obeyed God, when they believed in God, when they did the right things then the wheel was theirs. And it's usually translated in the Bible as blessed, blessed, blessed. But whenever people resisted God, when people disobeyed God, when a nation disobeyed God, God would pronounce upon them a curse, a woe. And in Isaiah chapter 5 and look at several verses here. Isaiah chapter 5, he's speaking to a nation, the nation of Israel, and he says in verse 8 and 9, Woe unto them. Now, I'm, I'm actually in the King James right now, so if you'll switch that over. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in this. He's talking here about greed. He's saying, woe to those who just are grabbing, 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 and they're just after more and more and more, and they are, they are so greedy that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, says the Lord God of hosts, 
Of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. He says those nations that are driven by greed and avarice and wanting more and more and more, rather than caring for those who have little, he says, woe unto them. And then he says, uh, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink that continue until night, till wine inflames them. And the harp and the viol, the tabret, the pipe and the wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. He says, woe to those who are greedy, woe to those who are inflamed by alcohol. And I know I just hate alcohol. I just have to tell you, I know there are people today who say, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a little this, a little that, you know, and they, they may be right. But I tell you what, you couldn't stack up enough money on this piano here for me to drink a can of beer. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And uh, I, don't, I don't condemn other people who drink sensibly and moderately, whatever that means. But I just know this. No alcoholic ever didn't take a first drink. Maybe another way of saying that, every alcoholic somewhere along the way started drinking. And it ended up making them a prisoner. And another thing, I've been a pastor now for 60 years. I have never, ever had anybody say to me, you know, our home was so unhappy until Daddy started drinking. And once he started drinking, oh, now we're just so happy. I've never, never, ever had anybody say that. But I couldn't even begin to count the number of people who have said to me, we had a, a, a happy home until my parents started drinking. And then everything went downhill. And, of course, that was true in my own family. So I just, I admit it right up front, I have an absolute hatred for alcohol. And I believe that alcohol has done more to damage the minds and the morals of Americans than any other single physical thing. And when you think about somebody said that more alcohol is consumed in Washington DC than per capita than any other any other city in America. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I just know this, if our politicians are making the laws with drunken minds, it's no surprise what we've got today. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had men and women in Washington who were sober and sane? Well, it'd be nice to have. All right.
And then uh, it says, and I think it's verse uh, 18, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Uh, no, there you go, 20. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I'm just telling you, God says people who are so confused morally that they end up calling good things wrong and they call bad things good, said when a nation reaches that point, then only the wrath and the judgment of God is left for that nation. Now, I want to tell you, America, our wonderful country, has been blessed more than any country on the planet unless it's the nation of Israel. And we have had two grievous past sins, the sin of slavery and <clears throat> the uh, and, and, and all the racial stuff that went with that. And then the sin against the Native Americans when we took their land. Those, those were both wrong. There's no way to justify it. And, uh, but I will say this, that nationally there has been some conscience about it. There has been some recognition that it was wrong, and there has actually been some repentance nationally for those two sins. What we did to the Native Americans, the American Indians, and what we did to the uh, uh, black slave trade. Don't you think that there has been some repentance? Don't you think that nationally there has been a, a, a sense of we know that was wrong? And I think God is not judging America for those past sins because we have, to a large degree, repented. Does that make sense? Y'all understand what I'm saying? But I tell you, there are two sins that are present in America today that are crying out for God's wrath and God's judgment. One of them is the, uh, the, the sin of all kinds of sexual sin, but especially homosexual sin. And I realize today that is a very, very don't talk about that topic. But I tell you, God talks about it. And the Bible makes it clear that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is coming on nations that not only allow that, but promote that. That's a scary thing to think about. Listen, uh, let me just read a, a, a lengthy passage to you out of Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And you just, you, now this is God talking. This is the, the, uh, the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth 
in unrighteousness, that is, they disobey the truth, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So nobody has an excuse. So he's saying that, let's just right now, let's just say America has no excuse because God has demonstrated in so many ways, by nature and by grace, his reality. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I mean, he says you can't even study biology. You can't study astronomy. You can't study any of the sciences and not see the thumbprint of God in all of it. But when a nation reaches a point where they willingly and blatantly reject God as the creator and turn away from him and come up with ridiculous ideas that somehow or another the whole world just either spontaneously generated itself or that aliens from some other planet came and planted life here on earth I mean how dumb is that how how much faith would it take to believe in something especially the idea that out of nothing everything came that, it, that there was a time when there was nothing that existed and if you take nothing and give it enough time you get everything I just gotta say folks you just almost have to be crazy to believe stuff like that when the Bible makes it clear that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so he says people are without excuse because that when they knew God, that is when they understood that there was a God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful but they became vain in their imaginations. Now, that's exactly what this whole idea of uh, evolution is. It's vain imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. So their mind is confused and their hearts become dark. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That is a, a mind that is just saturated with evil to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't do those things, some of them. But then listen to the next one, disobedient to parents, young people. Listen, do you realize that God puts right here in this list of horrible things, he puts disobedient to parents. So obey your parents. And uh, Raiden and Mason, y'all uh, obey your parents. Kaylee, Natasha, Isla, girls, obey your parents. You say, well, but most of my friends don't obey their parents. Well, most of your friends then are falling into this category. It says, though, wrath of God is coming on people who do these kinds of things. And it includes disobedient to parents. So when you go home today, hug your mama and say, and your daddy, and say, I, I want to be obedient. Okay, well, that's a totally separate message. I just threw that in because <clears throat> I felt like I needed to. Without understanding, covenant breakers. By the way, what is the most common covenant that we make in America today? That's right. It's when two people stand before a minister or a justice of the peace and they enter into a covenant called marriage. And he says one of the sins that bring about the wrath of God is breaking that covenant without natural affection. I'm going to come back to that one in a minute. Y'all help me remember without natural affection. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that those who commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do those things, but they have pleasure and them that do them. In other words, they actually brag on and promote and make movie stars out of people who live that kind of a lifestyle. That's terrible, isn't it? You say, man, I can kind of understand why God's kind of ready to pour out some bowls of wrath on a nation that lives 
like this. That's exactly what he says. So, what did I say I was going to come back to? Without natural affection. What is natural affection? Natural affection is when, even if you're not a Christian, you love the things that nature demands that you love. For instance, natural affection is a man falling in love with a woman. That's a natural affection. 56 years ago in March, my wife and I met, and I had some natural affection. She got up and sang a song that night, and I sat there and listened to her sing, and I said, I'm going to marry that girl. I didn't tell her for a few weeks, but uh, but I, I had natural affection for her. And she had natural affection for me, not that night, but uh, but later she said, hey, he's all right. And so we began to have natural affection for one another, and it's lasted for 56 years now. And Joe and Maxine there, they got married, was it 70? 69. 69 years ago. They still have natural affection. They hold hands like a couple of teenagers. Yeah. That's a natural affection. I'll tell you another natural affection. A natural affection is for a woman when she finds out she's going to have a baby. She says, wow, that's wonderful. And then when she has that baby, she loves that baby. That's natural affection. Another natural affection is for a dad who has fathered a child, and he holds that baby in his arms right after that baby's born and says, I'm a dad. I have natural affection. Now, when the Bible says that God's wrath comes on those nations that do not have natural affection, it means that a nation in which men don't love women and enter into a covenant of permanence with them, where a husband doesn't love his wife the way he ought to, and a wife doesn't respect and honor her husband as she naturally should. And when parents don't love their children, and especially when women find out they're pregnant and they say, I need to kill this baby. I need to get rid of this. I need to terminate this pregnancy. That is unnatural. And I said there are two sins that are demanding repentance or deserving judgment in America today. And one is the sin of unnatural affection between men with men and women with women, and the other 
is abortion. This weekend is the weekend. Back in 1973, when the highest court in our land ruled that it was legal for a woman to terminate her pregnancy. It's always been wrong, but up until that time, it was also against the laws of the state as well as against the laws of God. But in 1973, right here in Dallas, the court decision that ended up going to the Supreme Court and and ending up as Roe versus Wade was determined that now women who do not want to be pregnant could terminate their pregnancy legally by a number of ways, a solution that would be injected that would burn the baby to death, or a knife that would go up in the mother and slice around and cut the baby to death. And the worst one was the one in which the baby could be born, partially born, And a pair of scissors driven through the base of the skull of that baby. And its brains vacuumed out. Now look, I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, this is so unpleasant to talk about. And it is unpleasant. But I want to tell you, if it's unpleasant for us, you imagine how God who is the author of life, the giver of life, the one who opens the womb and closes the womb. Imagine how it must look to him when he says, I have given my people the wonderful gift of marriage, the wonderful gift of children, and they defile both of them. So the wrath of God is coming upon any nation. But I want to tell you, we, we, we have an opportunity sometime within the next year, two or three, for things to shift back a little. But if it doesn't, if it were to continue the slide and I'm, I'm thankful, I'm very thankful that we now have at least three new members on our Supreme Court who seem to think a little more biblically. I'm not saying they're necessarily godly saints, but at least they seem to make decisions based more on biblical principles. And had that not happened... I don't know where we'd be right now. But I do know this. God's judgment has to come on any nation 
that practices in a wholesale manner those things that we just read in that list. And uh, the Bible makes it clear that God knits us together in our mother's womb. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that God forms us and plans us. And for us to take those kinds of things in our own hand and thumb our nose at God, God says, I can judge you. And he can do it. He can do it through a nuclear bomb or he can do it through an invisible virus. God can judge a nation through any means. And uh, so what do we do? What, what is our responsibility as Christians? Uh, one is we pray. We fervently pray. And then two, we speak. We, we say this is wrong. And then thirdly, we obey. Husbands, love your wife. Love your kids. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And by the way, the very best thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife. To treat her as a treasure, a precious treasure. And women, wives, honor your husband. Look at him as a a hero in your eyes. Give him respect and admiration and encouragement and love your kids and don't let substitute things take the place of what you are intended to give them I was talking to a friend of mine just this last week he said you know so many parents this was in Bulgaria he said so many parents they just set their kids in front of the television and they just let the television raise their kids. Television not intended to raise kids. And by the way, school teachers are not intended to raise kids. School teachers are intended to supplement what the parents are doing. So, if we want to avoid the judgment of God, then we have to be the people of God and be obedient, prayerful. And verbal, vocal. All right, well, my time's up. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, these are really desperate days. And what we've seen in our country, uh, medically, uh, politically, financially, morally, the last, even the last two years should not surprise us when we read our Bible and we see that the wrath of God is coming on any nation that takes you so flippantly. And I pray that you'll help us. Lord, I can't change what's going on in Washington except by my vote. I can't change what's happening in the major cities of America 
all the violence. I, I can't change a lot of those things, but I can love my wife. I can love my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and I can speak out and speak the truth. Help us all to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.